Well, if I could, I would like to title uh, this message, um, Cling to What is Real. Cling to What is Real. The week before last, um, a friend of mine asked me, he goes, Riv, do you know anyone who can hang doors? Now, when he asked me this, I know what he's saying. He's saying, Riv, come to my house and hang some doors. You know, I could say, well, yeah, I know there's a Johnny and there's, you know, Tom. No, I know what he's asking. My friend is uh, pretty badly um, paralyzed to a point where he, he can get up and move around. And, and he, he has this uh, bike that is, you know, electric bike. He rides around the neighborhood. And, and, um, and he, he talks. It's, it's kind of difficult to understand him. But I've known him for so many years. And uh, our kids are about the same age, roughly. And um, he, he's just a neat brother. And like I said, he's hard to understand, so we text a lot. Um, but, you know, w when we gather together at times, you know, a couple weeks ago, that's when he asked me that. And, and like I said, he's, he's badly paralyzed to the point where he can't really do a lot physically because of an accident that he was in. And so he has to ask for help for things. Things like that, like hanging doors. Like, I would take that for granted. I go out and, well, let's go to Home Depot, grab some doors and come home, and, and I would hang my own doors. He doesn't have that luxury. He relies on others to help him, and so his way of asking is, Riv, hey, you know anyone who can hang some doors? Yep, I sure do. When are we going to Home Depot? And so that's what we did. We went to Home Depot. I, I grabbed him, and, and we made a day of it. We went there, and uh, he bought some doors. We made some measurements first, of course. Got the doors, got back, and then we set up a time for me to uh, come over a day or so later, and we, we hung those doors. And the whole time, he's there with me, and he's trying his best to help me and, and move you know, my horses, my saw horses, and hand me a tool when I need it. He, he's there. He's invested. He, he wants to help. But again, very limited. And so at the end of that time, you know, we were done, we hung two doors, and I'm kind of gathering up my tools and, and, you know, rolling up the extension cords and whatnot, and he's helping me and he's getting stuff for me. You know, I just, I, I looked at him and I said, you know what, I said, what really happened? Like, I, I know you were in an accident, I think it was a motorcycle accident, but what, what really took place? Like, what happened? And he began to kind of share with me and he told me, you know, this is before Christ, B.C., right? Before, before he knew the Lord. And he actually was in a motorcycle accident, but he actually, as he was riding this motorcycle, he actually traded this motorcycle for another item. And so he got it. Well, of course, he didn't have his motorcycle endorsement. So he's not really technically legal in riding it. And so as he's in the Sacramento area, he's riding this thing. And so what happens? He must have made some sort of violation because here come the police and they light up behind him. And he had two choices. One is to pull over. The other was to run. Well, which one do you think he chose? And the reason why is because he was comfortable in running from the police because he's done it before. I did not know that. I'm like, man, bro, look at you. And, and we're just kind of having this conversation. We're laughing and joking and that sort of thing, too. He had actually done it before, but with vehicles, right? So now he's on a motorcycle, and he's like, well, it worked before, so why not? Blah. 
and he, he, he takes off and he, he uh, you know, ends up crashing really bad to the point where he's at his current state now. So he's in this body that's just, it's, he's broken and it's, it's mangled. You know, he's got scars all over him from surgeries and, and that sort of thing. And his speech is, of course, uh, affected by it as well and, and very disabled. But his mind, ooh, boy, he's sharp. He's still got his mind. And he reads his Bible. And he's in his word. And you know what? He has questions, though. Things bug him. They kind of bother him, you know? He, he has these questions. And, and what he's plagued with is like, man, <laughs> that was dumb. He says, if I had it to do all over again, I would have pulled over and went like this. If he could only relive that moment, right? Ugh. And he wouldn't have got, he would have got slap on the wrist. Hey, you don't even have an endorsement. It's a fine or whatever and go on about your day. Not a big deal. But in his flesh and in the way he was thinking in those days, he chose the other option and it, it got him to the state that he's in now. And as we're having this conversation, you know, he's, he's like, man, I, I think about my life. And he goes, man, I think, what a waste. That's what he tells me. He goes, well, look at this. What a waste. I said, are you kidding me, bro? I said, dude, it's not a waste. I said, what a testimony. What a testimony. Because you look at your body and broken and disabled and the way you're at, and you kind of focus on that. And that's what the enemy does with them. It, it kind of plagues them with that. But I said, bro, look at your testimony. Look at your story. Look what the Lord has done for you. A wonderful wife, a Beautiful, two beautiful kids. One's in high school, one's about to be. They're doing great. A wonderful, uh, uh, beautiful home that we're here hanging doors in. I said, do you see your life? God has poured out his blessing upon you. And yes, your decisions had consequences. Yes, that's true. Our decisions do have consequences. But I said, you know the good news? I said, you want to hear the good news, bro? And I pointed at his body as he's standing there, I said, one of these days, you're not going to be in that body anymore. That body, no. That body, you're going to put on a new body. This body right here that's scarred and broken and, and disabled, the, the one we see and the one that you're in that you feel, that's going to be gone. You're going to be in a brand new body and you're going to be upright, and you're going to be flying, and you're going to feel so good. You're going to be, it's going to be amazing. And I encouraged him with those words. It got me thinking about what Paul said. As you meet me there, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. What does Paul have to say about this? He says in verse 1, For we know that if our earthly houses, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Paul, a tent maker, would have greatly appreciated the well-constructed tent. He would have. He would have understood and respected that. He would have, a well-made tent, boy, he would have appreciated that as being a tent maker. He would have known. He would have said, wow, that's a neat tent. 
but he compares our bodies to a tent. But what is a tent? A tent is a temporary dwelling. That's not something you want to live in forever, right? And it says, these tents that we're in here, he goes, this tent, if it's destroyed, but we have a building from God, a building. Now, that sounds like something a little bit more permanent, doesn't it? Our tent that we're in right here, this is temporary, and it's, it's falling apart. Hope you're encouraged. Your body's falling apart, folks. Do you feel that? It's temporary, and if it's destroyed, but guess what? Take heart, because we have an eternal building that is made without hands, okay? For in this we groan earnestly, desiring to be clothed, clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. You know, a tent, when it's brand new, is awesome. Man, you, you pitch that tent, and boy, it's like taut, and it's got great fabric. You know, and when you're young, you young people in here, high school, college age, oh, you're like, what are you talking about? I feel great. Just wait. <laughs> Just wait. Okay? But you know what happens with tents is like, you know, you use them, and, you know, again, it's a temporary thing, but the more you use them, you know, and, and man, if you live in them for a really long time, guess what happens? After a while, you know, that fabric begins to sag. And, you know, the, the, it, it begins to maybe, I don't know, wrinkle. Kind of maybe tear apart at the seams a little bit, you know, and... And it just kind of starts to wear out. The tent pegs don't really hold it up that, that good anymore. And, and, and that's the idea is that, and we feel, and he says there, he goes, oh, we groan. Oh, my back. Oh, need to take my back pill. It's a joke with our family. Before I eat, I got to take my back pill. I don't really, but sometimes I do. But anyway, the point is, we're in this temporary tent. It's, you know, we groan. It's, you know, we feel, and if it's destroyed and breaks down, guess what? We have a building not made by hands that we are looking forward to. My brother, who is severely disabled, he's broken, scarred, wrecked. You're going to get a new body, my friend. And so are all of you and me. A new body. For indeed, verse 3, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent groan, being burdened not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by this life. Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has also given us the Spirit as a guarantee. The word there in verse 3, that being found naked, that, that idea is uh, actually disembodiment. In other words, the thought is, oh, when we die, we become ghosts, and, ooh, and we float around. No, that's not true. It's not that. It's, it's that we, are, we become embodied with our new body. In other words, we have this tent that we're in. We're in this body, this tent, but we take on our new garment, which is that new body, that the Lord has for us in heaven. Now, the question is, when will that happen? When will that take place? Some of us are like, please, today, my spine. When? Well, if you are to, if the Lord delays his coming, and let's say you pass away, um, 
you'll get your new body to be present with the Lord. You'll, you'll have your new body immediately. But, but if you, which I believe, you and I, are going to be present during that time called the rapture, when Jesus comes back for his church, guess what? We'll get our new bodies then. I'm going to keep you guys in constant motion today, and that means that we're going to be having you flip into a few scriptures. So if you would, turn with me to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. It's one that you know very well. You've read several times. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Now, this is an event that we've talked about very often, especially us with the men. We're, we're meeting on Saturday mornings and we're uh, first Saturday of the month, and we're going through the book of Revelation. And we're at that point in time now in Revelation chapters 4 and 5 where we're talking about the rapture. And that's indeed what John experienced. We'll be there in a second. But what is this? 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, would you look there in verse 13? He says, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep. In other words, those who have passed away before us. Lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, which we do, we celebrated that last week, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. So those who have passed on before us, they, they passed away, and guess what? They are in their heavenly bodies in heaven with the Lord. Now look at this, verse 15. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive, that's you and me, and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. So those who have passed before us, they, their old bodies uh, passed away. They were left here. They went to heaven immediately to inhabit their new body. But there's something about this dynamic that we don't fully understand. We can draw a picture back to the life of Joseph, where the Lord resumes those old bodies, the dead in Christ rise first to be joined with their new body. It's definitely a God thing. But that happens first. Verse 17, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and thus we shall always be with the Lord. And what does it say to do? Therefore, comfort one another with these words. That is comforting. That is a comforting doctrine for you and me today, is it not? Oh, my bones are aching. My back's a hurting. This old tent's wearing out. I'm seeing stuff sagging. The seams are coming apart. I, I feel it. I, you know, you sense it. And you know what the Lord is telling you? He's like, I know. Time's passing. Time is passing by. But what I do know is this, and what I'm excited about is I'm looking forward to that time when Jesus comes back for his church, for his bride, and he takes you and me, the dead in Christ rise first, but then you and me meet him in the clouds, and then we get our new bodies. Is that encouraging to you? It says there to comfort one another with those words. It comforts me. It comforts me. It's exciting. I look forward to that moment. 
So then that, what happens after that? Jesus takes us to heaven. And the big remote hits play. Well, what are you talking about? Well, that remote, the pause button on the big giant remote, the supernatural remote, hit pause after the 69th week of Daniel. And we've been living in between the 69th and 70th week of Daniel. If you read that book, you'll understand. We're kind of in that time zone where they're in between those two, uh, those time frames. Well, then Jesus comes back for his bride, for his church, and he takes us to heaven. And guess what? The play button is hit. And that 70th week of Daniel then begins to play out. And that time, as we know, is Revelation 6 through 19, the tribulation, the great tribulation. Well, guess what? We won't be here for that. You and I will not be here for that. What we're looking forward to is being raptured up, getting our new bodies, spending time with the Lord for that seven-year time frame where we'll be in heaven with him while that 70th week of Daniel is played out on the earth. Wow. I'm comforted. That's exciting. Because I'm looking forward to that because I know it can happen any second. Nothing else biblically, prophetically, has to happen before that second can take place. It could literally happen before we leave this building today. You guys could all be in your new body in seconds. That's possible. But it may take two years. It may take ten. We don't know. No man knows the day or the hour. But I do know this. I'm looking forward to it. Now we go to heaven, and what do we see? What happens then? What will take place? Well, we don't know really what heaven looks like, but we have a man who did see heaven, and we have his, perspe his perspective. Would you turn with me to Revelation? I told you I'm going to keep you busy turning to scriptures, but Revelation's easy to find, guys. So, Revelation chapter 4 Remember the book that promises a blessing to the reader and to the hearer. Its own divine outline in chapter 1, verse 19. And we're looking at a passage, uh, the, the passages of chapters 4 and 5 deal with the rapture of the church. We've already gone through church history, chapters 1 through 3. Now we're in chapters 4, 4 and 5 that deal with the rapture, and then it goes into chapters 6 through 19 is the great tribulation here on earth, the 70th week of, of Daniel, which, by the way, the church is not mentioned. Why? Because we're not here. And then in chapter 20 is the millennial reign of Jesus. Jesus comes down with us, and he sets up his reign in Jerusalem, and we reign and rule with him for a thousand years. And guess what? We'll be in our new bodies. Not this one, our new bodies. And that's going to be a really fun time. I'm excited about that. And then finally, chapters 21 and 22 is the new heaven and new earth. But what we're looking at right now is chapter 4. And what happens here? Chapter 4, verse 1, this is John speaking. He says, and after these things, after what? After church history. He says, behold, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, come up here. That's what we'll hear. You and I will hear that. A trumpet, and we will be experiencing that same thing. We'll say, come up here, the Lord will say, and we will. The dead in Christ rise first, and then we who are alive will meet him in the air. Come up here, 
and I will show you the things which must take place after this. Immediately I was in the spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. We talked a little bit about this at communion last week. A throne set in heaven. It is set. It is foundational. It is there. It is not going anywhere. He sees this throne. And verse 3, and he who sat there was like a jasper and a sardius stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. And around the throne, there were 24 thrones, and on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. Now look here, verse 5. And from the throne proceeding lightnings and thunderings and voices, seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Before the throne, there was a sea of glass like crystal. And in the midst of the throne... And around the throne were four living creatures, full of eyes, in the front and in the back. Interesting. John sees heaven. Come up here, raptured up, and in the spirit, this is what he sees. And he's trying the best he can in, in his ability to explain the phenomenon that he's actually seeing. And it's hard to do. Could you imagine? But what's the first thing that draws his attention? What's the first thing that gets his attention? The throne. The throne and he who sits on it. That's what grabs his attention. And then he begins to describe the other things that he's seeing to the best of his ability. But he sees these creatures. In verse 7, And the first living creature was like a lion, the second living creature like a calf, and the third living creature had a face like a man. And the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. What are these things? These creatures. I mean, we, we're looking at this and we're like, what, what is that? It's got four heads, one, one like a lion and, a, and one like a calf. And the other one's got a face of some guy. And, and then this one's got an eagle head, but it's got all kinds of wings, but it's got eyes all over it. What is that? It sounds weird. It sounds hard to understand. We've seen these creatures in Scripture before. Genesis chapter 3, what they are, are cherubim. Genesis chapter 3, you remember when Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden, who did God place there at the gate with swords of fire drawn? Cherubim. And they were guarding that tree of life. So that now that Adam and Eve, they, they're kicked out, they're banished, they can't come back in because the temptation would be to go back and eat of that tree of life. And really what it is is an act of mercy. The Lord kept them out because could you imagine? Could you imagine going back and continually eating from that tree of life in their fallen state? Imagine what you would look like 1,500 years from now if you aged at the rate in which you're aging now. What would you look like? pretty bad. You know, it's a bad joke, but I'll tell it anyway. You know that y you can tell when you're getting old, when you get out of the shower and you're relieved that the mirror's fogged up. <laughs> Could you imagine being 1,500 years old, aging at the rate you're aging now, and you saw yourself? Ha! Terrifying. Yes. And so it's actually an act of mercy. They couldn't come back and get from that tree of life anymore because the cherubim is there. 
Also, Ezekiel chapter 1 and Ezekiel chapter 10 give us a more clear description of these creatures. But we're going, what? I, hang on a second. Let me get this right. So you got these creatures, and it's in, in the original text, it's called a beast, but it's a creature, and, and they have like these wings, and John is doing his best to describe it, and they have four heads. One is like a lion, one's a calf, one's a man, and one's an eagle, and all these wings and eyes all around it. You kind of think, is that real? It's kind of bizarre. And, and Riv, let me get this straight. So you're saying that Jesus is going to come back for his bride and for his church. And when he does, he's going to come to the clouds uh, with all of the saints that fell asleep or passed away before that. And, and then the dead in Christ, it says there, the bodies of people who have died before us, they will kind of resume and, and come, come out of the ground and they'll go up first. And then we will shoot up too to the clouds? Is that real? It sounds so bizarre. It's real. It's real. Because guess what? It is so real that actually that is what reality is. Is heaven. Reality is heaven. You're thinking, okay. You know, we say we read this, and as Christians and believers, well, we believe it, but it's hard for us to get our minds wrapped around all of this stuff. When in reality, we're looking at it from our earthly bodies, our earthly perspectives. In this time and in this dimension. And guess what? When we get to heaven, we'll see those creatures and they'll make perfect sense. We'll be like, yes, I get it. Now my eyes are open. I totally see and get it. It is real. Now I see. Going up to heaven and meeting him in the clouds and, and being raptured in this new body that I will get and will go to a dwelling that was not made by hands. It's eternal. And, and we'll see these creatures and these thrones and all these elders and, and we'll see all this stuff and we'll be like, yep, this is real. This that Jesus is talking to us, heaven, that is reality. This life isn't really real. It's not really reality. Okay, what? You just lost me. The chair you're sitting on, for example, it looks real. You came in and you saw that chair and you plopped down. And it worked, thankfully. No one's hurt today. You sat on this chair, but did you know that that chair, you know, we all took science class. This is not going to be a physics class, don't worry. But we all understand the idea of what makes up matter in our world. Little tiny atoms make up what we know to be real, what we see to be real. But did you know the chair that you're actually sitting in is actually in constant motion? As an atom, the nucleus of that atom has rotating and orbiting electrons, and they're moving at such a high rate of speed that it gives the appearance and the illusion of solidity. And that's why you can touch it. That's why you can sit down. That's why I can pick up this microphone holder. But did you know, scientifically, did you know that the chair you're sitting on, 
this microphone holder that I'm holding is one million times more space than it is actual matter coming from a scientific point of view. It's one million times more space than it is matter. You're like, so what? Right. So what? The atom itself, thinking about the nucleus, the center of it, and rotating and orbiting electrons, if you were to take a common description of this, and I, I'm going somewhere with this, so hang tight with me. If you were to take a pea, a little green pea, the things I don't eat, if you were to take that pea and set it into the center of a football stadium, right in the center of the football field, the, and, and blew that up to scale, the P would represent the nucleus. The closest orbiting electrons would be at the outer rim of the top nosebleed seats of that P. That's what it would look like to scale. That's a common description. I've done a lot of reading and research on this because it fascinates me. If you were to blow that nucleus up to the size of a P, its closest ones would be out to the outer rim, up at the nosebleeds. And different scientists, you know, uh, you know, they'll disagree, it's further, whatever, it depends on the atom. But here's the point. What's in the middle? What's in between? Nothing. Space. Room. It's very spacey. Your chair, very spacey. One million times more space than actual solid particles. This microphone holder, one million times more space than there is solid matter. What's holding all that together? As those electrons are rotating around the, the, uh, the nucleus at such high rates, high speeds, we can't even hardly calculate it and understand it. Um, scientists go, what makes it stay together? Why, why doesn't it just blow apart? So they don't really have an explanation. The scientists say atomic glue. The Christian says Jesus. Because everything made by creation is done by his will, and he holds everything together. Amen? But getting back to this whole space thing, it's weird. It's space. If you were to condense this microphone pole, into, and we were able to extract all the space out of it, and just condense it down to nothing but the solid particles into this little cube, it'd be so heavy that you wouldn't even be able to lift it, not even with a forklift. That stuff's crazy. It's, it's spacey. It's, you know what James says? James says that your life is like a vapor. It's a vapor. You're here one moment, whew, gone the next. That's our life. And that's what, that's what we're saying. How do you know this is true? Well, let's turn to our next chapter. Turn with me to Hebrews. This life isn't really real. I mean, we think it is from our perspective. You said, well, I'm sitting in this chair, right? Losing my batteries. I think it's going out. And that's real. But you're sitting in this chair. I'm picking this up. But again, scientifically, we understand it's mostly space. It's airy. Really not a lot of substance if you break it down to a molecular point of view. You know what is real? Heaven. How do we know? Hebrews chapter 8. If you're there, Hebrews chapter 8, read with me. 
Now, this is the main point of the things we are saying. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. A minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, the true tabernacle. I bring your attention to that point. I actually underlined that, which the Lord erected and not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. Therefore, it is necessary that this one also have something to offer. For if he were on earth, he would not be a priest. Since there are priests who offer the gifts according to the law, who serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. A copy, a shadow of what's real. And just there it goes on to say, as Moses was divinely instructed, and I just ripped my Bible page. <laughs> but the point, I literally just did. I just ripped my Bible page with my, these stickies, by the way, work well. I don't recommend them for Bible pages. Uh, but I just ripped my page off. The point is this. I won't be able to read that. But the point is this. As, as Moses was given the instruction of the tabernacle, he was told to, uh, to create it identical, exactly to the, the blueprints that the Lord had given him. Exactly. Why? Because it is a picture. It is a shadow. It is a copy of what is real. Where did we see that? Back in verse 2. The true tabernacle, which is where? In heaven. The true tabernacle. What's real and what's true, which seems so fuzzy and so bizarre and, and, and just kind of distant and weird to us in this dimension, guess what? That's what's real. And in this life, we walk around and we think this is real, but it's really not. It's all space. Every scientist will agree. Most of what we see in our life is it's just space. It's airy. James says your life is but a vapor. It's not really real. This gives me great hope. Because one of the things that tells me is that calories are not real. I'm excited. That means that that double bacon cheeseburger that I'm probably going to try to eat today, it's not as it appears to me. The calories don't really exist. They're, not, they're just airy. They're these calories that just really are, you know, we talk about them, but is it there? They're a shadow. I don't know. That may actually be the one real thing in life, calories. But, you know, it's a shadow. It's a copy of what is really true this life. If I were to come home from work and I pull into the driveway and as I get out of my truck, my dog weasels his way through the front door and clump, 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 here he comes down the front deck and he meets me out there in the, in the yard. Now he wants to say hi, so I get down and I start playing with his shadow and I'm trying to pet his shadow, I'm trying to catch his shadow. And I'm playing with his shadow, and he's bouncing around, and he's wondering what I'm doing. But I'm, I'm focused on his shadow, and I'm trying to pet his shadow, and I'm trying to get it. This would really be a scene for the neighbors. <laughs> Actually, when my dog gets out, it's already a scene. 
Um, it's already comedy. I have a great day, and as some of you don't know, so he's giant. And so he casts quite a shadow. So I'm trying to catch his shadow and play with him, and pretty soon even he's looking at me like, well, you weirdo, I'm right here. Why would I do that? Why would I go after the shadow of my dog when I could just grab his head, his big old noggin, and just like love on him and give him a big hug and smack him on the ribs and just play with the real thing? The shadow is a copy. It's, it's the shadow of what is real. And what should we be focused on? What is real? Heaven is real. These things that we're reading about is real. The rapture is real. Us meeting Jesus in the clouds when he comes back for his bride, that is real. That is what we focus on. This isn't real. Well, you're saying that's entertaining. And that's fun to think about. But, hey, my problems are real. My trial that's real. Everything you're saying, I get it, science, and it's fun to think about, but hey, my illness, that, that's real. My depression, that's real to me. Someone like my friend, his body broken, partially paralyzed, very handicapped, that, that's real. That's his reality. That's real to him. So it sure feels real, Riv this life, the things of this life. So what do we do with that? Well, it gets us back to our original scripture. Head on back with me. And I'm going to very delicately remove this sticker because <laughs> I can't afford any more pages ripped out of here. Now we're going to go back to 2 Corinthians, but we're going to look at Chapter 4 this time. You say, hey, you know what? My, my problems are real to me. My, my depression, my, the thing I'm dealing with, my trial, hey, that seems real to me. What I'm going through, what I'm dealing with, that seems real to me. Well, check it out. Second Corinthians chapter 4. Verse 16, and this is what Paul's telling us. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. Every day, you guys. Every single day, your in, inner person is being renewed every day. Your outer man is perishing you see it when you look in the mirror. And it's, it feels like it's just picking up speed sometimes. You feel it in your back. You, oh, we groan. The outward man is perishing, but guess what? Your inner man is being renewed. Verse 17, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Let's think about that verse for a second. For our light affliction, really? Paul, beaten, cast out into the open sea, shipwrecked, spent time in prisons, 
dungeons, in chains, and he calls that light affliction? What are you going through? Not to lessen it at all, but think about it for a second. Paul says that those afflictions, ah, those are light, <laughs> shipwrecked, abandoned, beaten, thrown in prisons, in chains. Ah, that's light compared to what's real, which is but for a moment. It's temporary, you guys. This life, James says, our life is but a vapor. And, you know, it's like, yeah, we talk about all time and space dimension, and, and is this a real chair? Is it really here or not? Is this? But here's the bottom line. You feel like your problems are real and true. You feel like that's real, but what you're going through, that's meant to be. Your outer man perishes while your inner person is being renewed. And it's only for a moment. So temporary. We think, oh, I'm going to be in this problem forever. And that, that the enemy weighs on us with that. And he, and he lies to us and he tells us that. But it's working for us by far more exceeding eternal weight of glory. What is that word weight? It means something substantial. Something real. Something tangible. The weight of glory. Weight in a good way. The he heaviness of his glory. There's substance to it. It's not light and spacey. It's not a million times more space than reality. No, it's weighty, he says. This is real. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary. Your problem, your issue is temporary. And even if you take it to your grave, should the Lord delay his coming, that in and of itself is still temporary. Because what's eternal? What's eternal is what is real. And what's real is heaven. Hebrews told us that. That's real. So what are you going through? What are you feeling? What are you experiencing? Is your depression, I know it's real, is that temporary? It's temporary. Your sickness, your illness, your paralyzed body, your whatever it is, this body's passing away, our outward man, but we're being renewed inwardly. Why? We say, okay, well, this life is not really real, but you know what? It's important. It is important. This life, this time that we're in, it's important. Why? Because Jesus said, I go and prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may be also. So why aren't we there yet? <laughs> Lord, come quickly. We're here, we're waiting, we're ready, we're watching. You said, don't, you said, be on guard, watch, be alert. Don't get caught up in the things of this world where drunkenness can cloud your vision and that day pass you by. Realize Lord, why aren't we there yet then? Why can't we just go right now? You prepared us a place. He said, I prepared a place for you, but I'm also preparing you for the place. Isn't that cool? I, I have to prepare you for the place first. Yes, the work is done. Jesus died on the cross for our sins, and when he, he said, it is finished. It's over. That's all we had to do. That's all we had to do. But in this life, guess what? Jesus says, you'll experience tribulations, trials, issues, 
problems. But guess what? The good news is it's temporary. It's temporary. And no matter how bad it looks right now, and no matter how bad you're struggling right now, the hope, and guess what? The encouragement is this. It's temporary. It's temporary. You've heard it before. This is as bad as it gets for the believer. <laughs> this life, what we're experiencing today, this is as bad as it gets for us. It only gets better from here. When Jesus comes back for us, man, that is it. Okay, it's only better. It only gets better. This is as good as it gets for the non-believer. It only gets worse for them from here. And that's sobering. But back to our text. For this thing, we, for the things which are seen are temporary, but watch this, but the things which are not seen is eternal. I go and I prepare a place for you, but I'm going to prepare you for the place. And how does he do that? Faith. Faith. You guys have to develop your faith muscle. I do too. The problem I'm going through, the, the pain in my heart, the relationship that's broken that you're experiencing, your depression, your illness, whatever it is, that is so that you and I grow faith. What's coming next? Well, if we knew, we wouldn't go that way. If the Lord laid out the steps, we'd go, oh, no, mm -mm, I'm not going there. And instead, what he asks us to do is, no, step out in faith. And as you step out in faith, ooh, there's another step. And he would say, I want you to go this direction. Which direction, Lord? I'll show you. He says, I want you to focus on the things that are not seen, not the things that we think are real. Your chair, this microphone pole, this isn't real. It's a vapor. It's a copy. It's a shadow. What I want you to look on and what I want you to focus on, the Lord would say, is what is real. Pet the real dog, not his shadow. Focus on what is real. Heaven is real. Remember that throne we talked about earlier? The first thing John saw, the, the first thing that really grabbed his attention, he saw that throne. We'll close with this. Do you know that throne is meant for you to come boldly to? The Bible says, come boldly to the throne and make your request known to him. Oh, I can't do that. Why not? Because. <laughs> now, let me get, I got to get cleaned up first. Let me get some things in order. Man, I, I'm not worthy to do that. Man, I haven't tithed in months. I haven't worshiped the Lord. I haven't even prayed. I can't come boldly to the throne. Is that what it says? Can I speak to you from my heart for a moment? It's not about those things in relation to this. It's about you coming boldly to the throne, not because of who you are and what you've done. It's because of what the, the high priestly work of what our Lord has already done. It's because of his grace and mercy that he can even say, now you come boldly to the throne because the work is done and this is real. This is reality. You step out in faith. Don't focus on the things that are seen, 
Focus on the things that are not seen because the things that are not seen is real. And I'm going to develop your faith muscle because guess what? In eternity, that's all you're going to use is faith. And we have to develop that now. That's why the Lord is doing that awesome inward work in you and me right now. Our outward man is perishing. Oh, it's falling apart at the seams, quite literally. But our inward man, our inward woman, our inward person, guess what? Oh, we're being renewed, and we're being taught, and we're stepping out in faith, and we're trying to develop that muscle because guess what? One of these days, the Lord's going to say, it's time. You guys are ready. I've prepared the place, and now you are prepared and ready to take it. Last scripture, I promise. Hang on to what is real. Focus on what is real. Second Timothy, if you want to turn there, if you, if you don't, you can just listen. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlists him as a soldier. We are enlisted as soldiers, you and me. But we're not to be tied up with the things of this life. Why? Because it's not really real. Oh, but my problems are, I know that, mine too. They feel real, but guess what? They're temporary. They're temporary. Even if I have this problem until I die, but if the Lord delays us coming, it's temporary. What I have is something real. I have a relationship with Christ, and that love that he, that he demonstrated on the cross, that love is real. And it's real for me, and it's real for you. Come boldly to the throne. Make your requests made known to him. What are you worried about? What are you carrying right now? What are you struggling with? All he wants you to do is come boldly to the throne because you can. He's wanting you to. And share your heart. Give that over to the Lord. And take heart in the fact that, you know what? He loves you, and what you're going through, there's a reason. It's not coincidence. And he will come for us one day. We know that to be true. And he will take us to the place that is real, and we will live with him forever in heaven. Glory. Can I get an amen on that? I'm just going to go back to my Baptist roots for a second. (laughs) Amen and amen. That, hopefully, is my encouraging word to you.